So many of our favorites to watch. Oh look, now they're being bashed. I guess that's what we should expect on the Bullied Nostalgia Podcast. Hello, listeners out there. We're back with the Bullied Nostalgia Podcast. As always, I've got Chance with me. Howdy. Kylan. Hello. John. Hello. And I, of course, am Tim. This episode, we're circling back to the movie that John and I watched way too much of as kids. So much, in fact, that we wore out the VHS tape. Uh, And that, of course, would be Batman Forever with Val Kilmer, Jim Carrey, and Tommy Lee Jones. Oh, and Chris O'Donnell as Robin. Does anyone want to tell us what this movie was about? Chance, you want to tag in? Well, this is actually a strange scenario. In This is the first where I've actually seen this movie ahead of time. I specifically remember this one because I remember Jim Carrey played such a big role in it. And to give an overlay of what this movie is about, this is after uh, Two-Face is already established as a villain. And in this movie, we see the rise of Edward Nigma become the Riddler, and then Two-Face and the Riddler work together to stop Batman. Yes, so this movie was released in 1995 as a response to Tim Burton's Batman Returns. For anyone who does not know, Batman in 1989 blew the doors off of the cinema experience and was extremely successful. So Tim Burton came back and did a second movie which didn't even pretend to be for kids. That movie is so dark that I feel uncomfortable watching some of it as an adult. And McDonald's, who was the big game in town, threatened to pull all of their merchandising deals if they didn't get rid of Tim Burton for the next movie. So they brought in Joel Schumacher and made this movie super neon. They tried to make it very comic booky, very fun, very child and merchandise friendly. That's why the Riddler has 18 costumes in one movie. That's, well, probably to sell 18 toys mm-hmm. is <laughs> the best way to say it. Riddler Act 4, Scene 3, box. <laughs> yeah. What did people think of this movie? Kylan, did you like this movie? I think it is infinitely better than Land Before Time 3. Yeah, that's a good start. I do feel good about where we've positioned this movie. This is probably one of two movies that sit firmly in my nostalgia goggles realm. That's still good. I don't know if I could see them as bad. Even if I knew they were bad, I will enjoy watching this movie forever. And putting it right after Land Before Time 3, I think everybody is willing to give it a pass. And just say nice things about it. But uh, maybe John will say something mean. He's a little bitter about what we said about Land Before Time, I think. No, yeah. I found myself enjoying the movie the whole time. Don't really have much negative to say about it, actually. It was a a positive experience. And I think 
It was interesting seeing Jim Carrey's take on the Riddler. It's a far more upbeat and zany version of the Riddler than you see otherwise. Okay, well, let's talk about who played the roles in this movie. But before we do, let's talk about who didn't play the roles. In the Batman 1989 movie, Billy D. Williams was cast as Harvey Dent. So for people at the table who don't know who Billy D. is, is Lando from Star Wars. So he was cast as Harvey Dent and... He should have played Harvey Dent in this movie. But Joel Schumacher wanted Tommy Lee Jones so bad that he paid Billy D. Williams wages as Two-Face to not be in the movie. <laughs> he paid two people to be Two-Face, even though Billy D. never acted any of it. Billy D. of course, would get his role back in... Lego Batman, but... Uh, I can tell you a lot about that game. <laughs> yeah. Now we're talking Kai's language. Someone else who did not play a role, who very much could have, was Robin Williams. Hmm. Robin Williams was told by Tim Burton that he'd be playing the role of Riddler, but Robin Williams was pretty bitter about the whole situation because they had lied and half offered him the role of Joker in Batman 1989 to push Jack Nicholson to take the role. They never intended to give it to Robin Williams, but they wanted Jack Nicholson to feel jealous, and so they gave it to Robin Williams only to pull it out from under his feet. So he was pretty upset when he once again did not get a role in a Batman movie that he was promised. Okay, so let's talk about the cast. Joel Schumacher really wanted Tommy Lee Jones. Do people feel like he did the role justice? I think when you watch Tommy Lee Jones and Jim Carrey in their respective roles... There's almost a bit of a Venn diagram of where their two characters kind of mesh together and get a little samey, but I think they still did a good job of being different when they needed to, especially when they're in the same room and they're playing off each other. They actually work quite well, but when they're apart, you kind of notice the similarities that make it a little less convincing, I'd say. Yeah, I just felt like he had too much energy all the time. Very manic? Yeah, like there wasn't... A single line that was delivered regularly. Everything was hyped up. Um, Especially for a character who's meant to be both civility and chaos. Yeah. He played very heavy to the chaos. I think right. he was chaos 99% of the time, unless somebody said, Wait, isn't your idea supposed to be that you do 50-50? Oh yeah, my coin. I think he had a very hard time. When the Lego Batman video game came out, it was widely considered a very good game, but kids didn't want to play as Batman because he was the boring character. Everybody else was so fun and engaging, and I'm sure that's where Tommy Lee Jones was sitting with this, was he had to compete with Jim Carrey... Mm -hmm. to be super engaging, and you can't beat Jim Carrey at that game. Yeah. 
that's the thing. Jim Carrey is a weapon you throw in to make people like your movie. How, how do, or, how do people so feel like, like Jim, Jim Carrey? Riddler falls into a special archetype, and I would say that comes from different things. Like, I grew up with the Arkham games. I played through that series, and usually in that and the comic books, you'll find Riddler to have this very sophisticated, bitter, and often jealous characteristic, where his entire idea is that he wishes he was smarter than Batman, but he's not. In this, Jim Carrey says, who cares? And it's, it's interesting, but I don't think it's necessarily bad. I didn't dislike it. It's just not what I expected. Yeah, I think it's like a very harsh contrast. At first, it's like, oh, wow, this is weird. But as time goes on, it's like, yeah, I, I can see this being a Riddler. Yeah, I just think Jim Carrey is really likable. So even though it might not have been the traditional Riddler, it was still enjoyable to watch. You made a comment during the movie that you really felt like they were friends or they came across like they had really good chemistry together. You will be disappointed to know that they hated each other. Not so much that Jim Carrey hated Tommy Lee Jones. I do think that that developed over time, but Tommy straight up hated Jim Carrey. And there is a story that Jim Carrey tells that he saw Tommy at a restaurant and he went over to say hello. And Tommy Lee Jones not only told him that he hated him, he said, I cannot accommodate your buffoonery. Wow, that's a very sophisticated way to insult somebody and call them an idiot. Yeah. Joel Schumacher, the director, would go on to say that he would never work with either of them again because they were feuding so hard. He did ultimately work with Jim Carrey many years later on the 23, the number 23, whatever yeah, it was. Yeah, I've seen it. But it took a very long time for him to forget that he shouldn't work with them. I want to take a moment to talk about the best character. That one bank guy. The one security guard. The security oh, guard. He oh no, Allison. <laughs> Michael Allison. I was surprised to find he was a reoccurring character. Yeah, he shows up later again. He should just be the Bat franchise on his own. He is very engaging. I was surprised to learn he got into a very schwanky Gala. <laughs> yeah, with, like well, Bruce Wayne, well, Nigga, the yeah. largest uh, technical company in the in the world, and then this security guard <laughs> who just lost his job. I'm sure that he probably got like the key to the city and stuff as the survivor of Two Face's big attack. Schmoozed it up with the cops <laughs> afterwards. I do actually want to say something though. Although I absolutely adore Jim Carrey, I love his works. I would say that the best actor in this movie is probably Bill Kilmer. I love his role whenever he's playing Batman. It's so good. And I think something a lot of actors don't get is the Bruce Wayne side of Batman. But Val Kilmer rocks it. I love him as Bruce Wayne just as much as I like him as Batman. Wow. High praise. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I think he just said his lines. I feel like a lot of the people who play Batman, it's like it's hard to be nuanced. You're just sort of... The, the villains are the foils to a character that's pretty monotone. 
at the time, people largely agreed with Chance's take. Bob Kane, the supposed creator of Batman, would say that he believed that Val Kilmer did the best Bruce Wayne that had ever been put to film up until that point. He received a lot of praise at the time. I think now people tend to view someone like Christian Bale or as a more accurate handling of the character. But certainly for the time, Val Kilmer gave a very good performance. That said, he didn't do the next movie. And that was not because he chose not to. That was because Joel Schumacher did not ask him back. This was peak Val Kilmer fame, and notoriously, he was hard to deal with when he was at his most famous. The Isle of Dr. Moreau is a famously terrible movie where he wouldn't even leave his trailer most days because Marlon Brando, the other lead, and him were feuding, and they felt like, whoever came out of their trailer first in the morning was a lesser actor. So this was right in that time, and Joel would say he gave a phenomenal performance, but one he'd never hire again. So accurate take, Chance, but also never did Batman again. Instead, uh, Joel brought in George Clooney, who famously thought it was a stupid role. John mentioned that normally it's a very monotone character, but there are also just snippets of very surprisingly comic-y lines. Like, at the very beginning of the movie, queuing into the Batcave, you see Batman and Batmobile, Alfred's talking to him, and then Batman just goes, I'll get drive through," and then he just drives away. It's a very dumb line to start the movie with. It is a dumb line to start <laughs> the movie with, and we got to see that on McDonald's commercials. I want to say what is potentially one of the weirdest roles in this entire movie, and that is Robin. Ooh, Robin is a 22-year-old man. This Robin actually reminds me a lot more of his much later role in the comics, and that's Nightwing. He's temperamental, but he tries to stay cool-headed about it, and he's still a mature Robin, but he acts like a kid a lot. Now, I'm not saying 22 years old is a good age range to put that, but in comparison to Robin's like 12, he normally is, having him be more like 16 or 17, that's a lot more believable, and I think it plays better to the character. Yeah, it's weird, because Bruce is being entrusted with this kid for social services purposes or but something. He's past an adult. But he's an adult, so I don't know what that means, honestly. They should have had it not be social services, and Batman was just giving him a place to crash or something. I thought there were some interesting cartoon sounds throughout. Oh my goodness, yes, they were almost overpowering at times. Yeah, so I think a throwback to maybe older Adam West goofiness kind of Batman or... Yeah, I think I could have swallowed it easier if it was just for fights. But it's all the time. But it was all the time when Batman pulls the hearing aid out of the aforementioned bank guard's ear. It makes a pop sound. And it's really over the top. It's it's too much. Nicole Kidman 
played Chase Meridian, who was a original character for this movie. How did people feel about Nicole Kidman? In all fairness, I'm not as much a fan of her. I know lots of other characters have played the female love interest to Batman over the years. I think especially when it comes to the Batman series, his secret identity is a very fragile thing. Too many love interests know his secret identity. That you lose the suspension of disbelief. Normally for me to enjoy the idea of a character learning Batman's secret identity, they have to be a character I like or think it's valid that they know. And unfortunately, she did not meet those criteria. Did she ever know, though? Yeah, she mm-hmm. definitely yeah. When she kisses him, she's like, oh, I know those lips. That's a silly trope. We've seen it in Spider-Man 2, where Mary Jane kisses him hanging upside down and then kisses him at a funeral. And then somehow that's the same. Like, there's no way kissing him upside down would even feel the same. But to this movie's credit, Val Kilmer has very identifiable lips. <laughs> Even just looking at them, people would probably figure out I mean, by looking at his lips. On the side of his face, so mm. kind of helps. She, she kissed the mole both times. <laughs> she was like, mm. I can say though that she is quite dumb when it comes to his identity before the end of the movie. There were two scenes in particular. One scene where Bruce Wayne is at a carnival. And he screams out, I'm Batman! And nobody hears it. (laughs) Zero people. If, however, she did figure out his secret identity earlier, which should have happened, we would not have gotten the greatest scene in that entire movie. And that's the slow Val Kilmer Batman turnaround to give us the (laughs) biggest grin ever seen. It's fantastic. But there's a secondary scene where Bruce Wayne's like, I need to make people pay because of what happened to me as a kid. And she's like, what do you mean? <laughs> well, who else fights people? Yeah. I, for one, had a huge crush on Nicole Kidman when I was younger because of this movie. So. Yeah, I think I knew it was Nicole Kidman, but I had forgotten. And then... Hmm. When watching it, was like, oh, yeah. And it's just because so much of my experience with Nicole Kidman now has been in her later years. And so it was just neat to see her near the beginning of her career again. I do want to say that the credits at the start of the movie Well, they're are... aggressive. <laughs> they're violent. Yeah, that'll give you whiplash. <laughs> Don't try and read who they are. Some of the riddles are so basic, but I still love the match riddle. I think that by this point, we've all heard these riddles many times, but they hired a puzzle master to write these riddles. Mm. They were fresh once upon a time, and there is layers to them, right? That they all have numbers built into the riddles and that spells out the name well, and stuff. here's the thing. I think that the conclusion of the final riddle is dumb. It is a little Because strange. it requires you take, what, four riddles? And you have to look at the numbers in the riddles. The answers do not matter no, whatsoever. Fine. And then you have to look at the numbers in the riddles and realize that those numbers are actually letters in the alphabet. And then realize that those letters also aren't the right letters because the one has to be moved over to the eight to make it 18. And then you get the letters M, R, E, which is an actual thing, but then you have to 
assume that that actually means mystery, common term, and then you have to use a synonym for mystery to find enigma, and then you have to use that to find the name no, it, of a famous person. Chance is not Mr. a synonym, synonym. You're using Mr. E. Mr. Enigma. No, no. Chance is right. It's a mystery. It's also an enigma. It's Mr. Enigma. It's a bad final riddle, I'm going to admit. Well, it could be worse. It, it could be a sparrow with a machine gun. That's right. Very true. And, it was also <laughs> pulling my leg. And that's where we should look at it is... You might be able to poke holes in some of his riddles, but compared to who the Riddler was, these riddles are next level. I really appreciate in this movie Edward Nigma's obsession with Bruce Wayne. The scene where he copies him is fantastic. Yeah, he, he's got his hair done the same. He's wearing the same suit, the same he's glasses. He's a fake mole. And, and he's then, trying to copy his mannerisms yeah, and Bruce everything. Yeah, Bruce Wayne, he like... Tries to talk about something scientific, so he puts on glasses, and then Edward Nigma pulls out a pair of exactly the same glasses. And then when Bruce Wayne finishes his point, Edward Nigma takes off the glasses. It's really great. It's a good scene. It's a good scene. I do think it's kind of a leap at the very first time you see Edward Nigma. He's like, I built this cool machine. And Bruce Wayne's like, uh, I don't know. I think that brings up too many questions. He's like, oh, oh, no. And then some boss is like, hey, why are you working here this late? And he proceeds to push him off a building. That's, I, I don't think well, it's he was fired. boss. Yeah, he was fired, and that guy hates him. Yeah. His boss so, ridiculed him. So he killed him before anyone else knew that he got fired. Mm. So for the people who are listening, Jim Carrey messes with his supervisor's brain and then pushes him out a window... But when the police look over the security footage, it shows the supervisor jumping out the window. So that means that Riddler must be pretty smart with technology. So I don't know how that happened. I don't know. I think that there are ways to explain it away. We saw that Edward Nigma's technology lets you look inside someone's brain. So if he, like, imagined it, he could record it and then... Uh, it, it's weird, for sure, but there's a lot of things that are a stretch in this and movie. in comparison to anyone who doesn't know, in this movie, the Riddler makes a device that allows him to steal the IQ of people, essentially. I don't think it's permanent. I think it's temporary, but it's enough that he can get smarter. So if he did mess with his boss's brain and his boss works at a technology com- corporation, it's not too... St- too much of a stretch to say that his boss might have been a genius too. Sure. And it's very possible that made him smart enough. Because he says that he has the exact handwriting, word usage, all that of his yeah. boss. Yeah. I think he was able to replicate it because he was using his boss's brain. Mm. I was so impressed by the actor who played his boss in this movie. He only has five minutes of screen time, if that. But that guy sells it. He is all in. He was a a welcome surprise for me in this viewing. Mm. Going back to the brain stealer machine, I think that that thing doesn't make sense. Because the Riddler uses it to grow his brain, essentially, the Mm. first time he uses it. And then later he uses it to steal specific memories. Those are both fine. But then he proceeds to steal 
all of the brains of everybody in the entirety of Gotham City, and he doesn't really feel any smarter. No, I wouldn't say that. In the later scenes, he is trying to get more intelligent, but initially it's because he wants to calculate who Batman is. And instead, as it turns out, Batman reveals himself with his memories. So, the Riddler isn't doing his job incorrectly, and from what it seems, he only gets that intellect when he's directly plugged in with his plunger. And I'd say for those last scenes, for a good bit of it, he's not plugged in. I would say also that while this Riddler doesn't share much in common with the traditional one, the one driving force that the Riddler has always had is pride. He, as Chance said, wants to be smarter than Batman, and his whole shtick is to write riddles and prove that he's smarter than Batman. The problem is, Batman always figures out the riddles and proves that he's not the smartest. And so there is a huge driving force in his persona, and that's pride. In those final scenes of this movie, as it builds to the climax, I think he is really smart, but he's so proud, his pride gets in the way, and he makes, dumb he makes dumb mistakes because he is only thinking about how great he is, not considering what Bruce brings like, to the table. Where he was so sure that he won that he didn't even consider there are multiple ways he could lose. Yeah. And something interesting, I mentioned this off the bat, but the iteration of Riddler I know best is the one who thinks he is smarter than Batman. But I found it very interesting that in this iteration, it was Edward Nigma who's jealous of Bruce Wayne. Not usually the superhero persona. And that's why sure. you see them copying each other and Edward saying that he's better, that kind of thing. Actually, I like that. Okay. I want to say something that is very obvious. Every other podcast we've done, it's been like, hey, this thing is funny. Or, this thing is bad. But in this one, it's like, oh, I think this thing is weird. And somebody else says... No, it's not because of this thing. And it's just a loop. <laughs> We've got kitty gloves on after Land Before Time. Yeah. You, somebody can take a hot take and say something that they really didn't like about this movie. You won't hurt my feelings. Kung Fu Laundry. Kung Fu Laundry. You didn't like that? <laughs> well, I love that. I'd be lying if I said it didn't pique my interest. <laughs> For people who can't imagine it, when... Batman adopts Dick Grayson, he shows that he knows martial arts by doing his laundry in the most aggressive way possible. <laughs> and Alfred looks at him strange. As not, anyone, he would be. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Not because he's impressed, but because he's like, what are you doing to the laundry? <laughs> are you okay? John, what did you not like? Yeah, I'd say probably the part of the movie that I think could have been improved the most would be Two-Face's performance. I think there was some clever writing, clever imagery of good versus evil inside of him or, you know, those different things. But he just felt too over the top all the time. I think that Tommy Lee Jones is a phenomenal actor and I can't think of any movie off the top of my head where I haven't enjoyed his performance. 
this movie is way out of his wheelhouse. This is not his norm whatsoever. And he took the part because his son was really into comic book characters and really liked the Two-Face character. And I'm sure he regretted it with what we know about him and Jim Carrey. I would agree that Two-Face is a little bit over the top, but when it comes down to the things I don't like about this movie, the top spot is probably Miss Chase, because the biggest criticism I have is just get a different female character. DC Comics has hundreds of them. Sure. There are so many to choose from. Don't need to make up a new, not important one, I find. I remember owning the toys. Yeah, yeah. I remember getting the, the Batcave, Bat yes. From this movie. Yes, John asked for it from the Sears catalog. Yeah, yeah. So There's a throwback. That was pretty exciting. And so I remember we owned Two-Face and Riddler and Batman and Robin and and the Batcave. And the Batcave. I don't think we had anything to fill the Batcave with. I don't think we had any vehicles, but we did have the cast. Yeah, yeah. And, of course, we had the the DC animated Batman TV show characters that we'd play in there, too. With. Sure. Sure, yeah. Oh, uh, how did you feel about uh, Two-Face's goons and stuff there, John? I feel like you had some things to say about it while no, we were watching yeah. the movie. Like I was saying earlier, I think some of the visuals they did for Two-Face stuff, you know, whether it was his yin and yang parachute or his goons all having, you know, half black, half red aesthetics. And when you went back to his lair and the two ladies that he was with, one representing good and one evil, and just even the different set pieces that related to that, I thought looked really cool. Everybody try and put yourself in 1995. I know that's hard for people who weren't born then, but imagine you're in 1995, you watch this movie, would you be excited to see another one of these? I was excited to see the follow-up movie. I think I would be. I think characters I've always found myself willing to watch movies of are characters like Batman. It's just... It's a really easy to make a good story with Batman, and this is just another example of that. I like this, and I'd be interested to see the next one. But it's just, I think that the movie that did come out was probably much worse than it could have been. Yeah. The next movie that came out, I went to see in theaters, and I would have been in junior high. I don't remember having strong opinions about movies I went to see in theaters, but I remember leaving that movie and being like, wow, that was a bad movie. So even when I was young, I knew that the movie after this was bad, and, and Joel Schumacher would say that the higher-ups really got involved. He had been brought on to deliver a product that could be turned into merchandise, but in the next movie, that was translated to a far more extensive place. He would call it toyifying. They would design toys 
and then tell him that he had to put those toys in the movie. So that's why every character in that movie has several wardrobe changes and there's every vehicle imaginable. It's because they just wanted to make a lot of money. I mean, I've already said I still love this movie. Is it corny? The first scene I'll get drive through is so stupid, but I would still watch it in a heartbeat. And I think that there's the right balance there. It's still, it's fun. It's campy for sure. But I mean, there's a good amount of camp. Like I will never in my entire life forget Ballpoint Banana because it is a terrible joke. That does not pay off, but I still find it hilarious to this day. Twice now, Chance has referenced lines from riddles from the old Adam West Batman series from the 60s. The Riddler's riddles make no sense whatsoever. Uh, There's a whole sequence where an octopus strapped with dynamite attacks Batman. And then they go on to say that since it's a fish... And penguins eat fish, the penguin must have done it. Since it's a fish, and cats also eat fish, the catwoman must have also done it. It's a strange thing that a bomb would be strapped to an octopus, and who does strange things? Why, of course, the Riddler. And of course, it was grabbing his leg, which that means it was pulling his leg, therefore a joke, which means it has to be Joker, Catwoman, the Riddler, and the penguin. It's a terrible sequence, but I've memorized it. Because it's so bad that it's ingrained in my mind forever. Yeah, it's terrible. Anyways, going back to Batman being goofy and whatnot. Growing up on Batman Lego games, I think (laughs) Batman being goofy isn't a terrible thing. Having colorful and vibrant worlds like that that are still a little bit dark in some places. It's a pretty interesting world to say the least i don't know just as a heads up this is how kylan views media in the world if he has not played a lego game about it it does not exist yeah kylan's wheelhouse for pop culture is anything that has been legofied he still has not watched the prequel star wars (laughs) movies and only knows well there's a reason for that one (laughs) no there's a lot of star wars movies he haven't watched but i'm not judging Everything you know is through the lens of Lego bricks. Okay, well, does anybody have any closing comments? This is the first of the movies we've watched, in which I would say watching it, I would say is not a waste of my time. Wow. (laughs) Considering you maybe watched five episodes of The Odyssey, Land Before Time 3, and Superman 4... I actually feel like I had a positive experience instead of a negative one. Wow. And All I've you got to do before, is so. traumatize someone with a Land Before Time sequel. <laughs> and those rose-colored glasses just obscure we've, everything. We've got plenty more Land Before Time sequels. We can That's use. right. What well, we have to do... If you watch number 13 and Dinosaur back-to-back, even the room looks good. (laughs) (laughs) Every second movie, we just insert a Land Before Time sequel, and then we'll get everyone in a really rosy disposition for the the next episode. The same Land Before Time (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. Yeah, my nostalgia doesn't feel that bullied this time around. Yeah. I'm sitting pretty high right now. 
As much as Chance said it was a waste of his time two episodes ago, he acknowledged that he could see why people enjoyed the Odyssey. So nothing that I have liked from my childhood has yet been really dismantled. So I'm sitting pretty happy right now. John does not have that same John does not have that same luxury. So here's the thing. I can't say that Superman for the Odyssey or this movie were a bad experience. But that might just be land before time speaking. (laughs) Do you have any closing comments about this movie, Kai? I think it was a good movie. I don't know, I think the viewers of this podcast have probably watched it before. If not, you might want to go watch it. Oh, wow. An endorsement from the Bullied Nostalgia podcast. Can you imagine? One quarter of the people at this table are asleep in every movie, so... Yep, that's true. So, this is going to be a weird send-off episode, because... After this episode, at least someone will be satellite at any given time. Whether John's dialing in at a distance or chance, it's going to be a little different. Two but, college boys for the cost of one. But yeah, I have had a fun month recording these with you guys. And I'm looking forward to doing more in the future. Look out for weirdos? Oh, right, yeah. Look out for weirdos. <laughs> I was wondering what those hand gestures meant. <laughs> so you're the crab pretending to be a, Yeah, pretending to be a crab. Okay, that makes way more sense. Talk to you guys later. Bye.